The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome our men and women in uniform who are joining us over the Internet today, and also new listeners tuning in from affiliates in Texas, Ohio, Florida, Alaska, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and from coast to coast. Thank you for your many letters and emails and for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, our nation's 19th Secretary of Defense, Mr. William Perry, will be here to talk about the mounting threat of nuclear war, as well as the steps the next president must take to stop the proliferation of nuclear arms. But before Secretary Perry joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. William James Perry was born in Vandergriff, Pennsylvania. Perry served in the United States Army and Army Reserves and earned his undergraduate degrees from Stanford University and graduate degree from Pennsylvania State. After working as a director for the Electronic Defense Laboratories of Sylvania GTE, Perry founded ESL. In 1976, he was hired as a consultant to the Department of Defense, and that started a ball rolling. He was appointed... Undersecretary of Defense by President Jimmy Carter, served as Deputy Secretary of Defense in 1993, and became our country's 19th Secretary of Defense under President Bill Clinton in 1994. You would look very hard to find an expert who is more knowledgeable about the danger of nuclear weapons the danger that they pose to life as we know it. Perry has worked with Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and peacekeeping organizations such as NATO and the United Nations, and is credited with getting the former Soviet Union to dismantle 4,000 nuclear warheads, as well as an equal number by the U.S. Today, Perry is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, professor at Stanford University, and co-director of the Nuclear Risk Reduction Initiative, where he is soliciting the help of the next generation of leaders. He's also founded the William J. Perry Project, aimed at educating the public on the dangers of nuclear weapons in the 21st century, and we'll hear more about that later in today's program. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former Secretary of Defense, Mr. William Perry. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Perry. Thank you, Rebecca. It's good to talk to you. Now, this month, North Korea fired off their fifth test of a nuclear weapon, which scientists say had the strength of the bomb dropped on Nagasaki. And this comes, of course, on the heels of similar testing just eight months ago. So as much as we were hoping that economic sanctions would deter their ambitions. We've been at this for 15 years, and it does not seem to be working. It does not work. In fact, it is almost predictably did not work. We've been pursuing for the last 15 years a flawed policy, I'm afraid, on North Korea, and we're seeing the results of it now. They now have a nuclear arsenal, a small and growing nuclear arsenal, and they pose a real danger, I believe. So what do you say to folks who claim that sanctions like this make countries like North Korea even more desperate, and desperate countries do desperate things? I mean, more and more, these nuclear missile tests look like good old-fashioned product demonstrations aimed at letting the world know that they have a viable weapon and it's for sale, and they're ready to do business. Under some conditions, sanctions work. They work, for example, uh, against Iran, but in that case, we had sanctions. We had nearly all countries in the world participating in the sanctions. So the sanctions were effective then. 
the sanctions against North Korea are not working because they still get a significant supply of food and fuel from China. So they've not been affected. They've been they've hurt China, North Korea, but not enough. And so they've gone ahead with the nuclear weapon program. Uh, what's worse than that is that besides not working, the sanctions against North Korea could have a, um, a negative effect because it, it makes North Korea so short, so short of resources, so short of cash, they might resort to actually selling some of the nuclear technology. I think that's a danger, aside from the fact that they might use it themselves. Well, I'm glad you brought China up, because as much as they say that they're publicly opposed to nuclear tests by North Korea, uh, they're propping up that economy. Uh, so how do we deal with enabling states like China? I think, indeed, they're honestly saying they are trying. They do not favor, they were quite negative about North Korea's nuclear testing, but they are also concerned that if they really put the clamps on North Korea, if they cut off the food, if they cut off the fuel, that might cause North Korea's government to collapse. And they, I think they fear a failed North Korea, collapsed North Korea, even more than they fear all the nuclear weapons in North Korea. They're fearful that this will lead to chaos in the peninsula with an eventual South Korea takeover with American troops up to the border, the Chinese border. So for all these reasons, they are more concerned about a failed North Korea than they are concerned about the nuclear weapons. So how do we deal with North Korea? I mean, at some point, if the sanctions aren't working, if we can't get China's cooperation, do we have to go in and take their, uh, their development facilities out? Uh, I think that would be a serious mistake. We uh, had the opportunity to deal with them years ago, towards the end of the 1900s, 1999-2000. In fact, we were negotiating. I was leading the negotiations yes. to uh, get them to agree to g give up a nuclear program as well as the long-range missiles. And I think we could have succeeded at that time. But those negotiations were curtailed when the George W. Bush administration came in, and they cut off all discussions with North Korea. And the consequence of that has been North Korea went back to the nuclear program, and they now have uh, a small but, but important, a very um, dangerous nuclear arsenal. Uh, today, uh, I don't think we really have an opportunity anymore to get them to give up their nuclear arsenal. It's very important to them. They, it gives them, as they see it, security. It gives them, as they see it, respect in the world. And they're not going to give it up. So our negotiations for the last more than 10 years to get them to give it up is based on a faulty premise, namely that they would give it up. If we begin negotiations again, and I think the new administration can and should do that, the negotiations should have more modest goals. We should find ways to curtail the danger of the nuclear arsenal they have, and at least for the time being, give up the idea that we think that we could really get them to give it up. But in some ways, the world is watching how we handle North Korea. You know, the Iranians, as an example, uh, you know, they're watching how we handle this the, the, this development and these tests as well. And in some ways, it, th this problem extends not only in that regard to other countries, but also if we take Iran as an example, they've been buying arms from North Korea going back to the early 1980s. So, in some ways, doesn't this allow Iran to make a to you know uh, I guess have a make or buy decision? They can give up their own program, knowing that at any point they could just simply buy nuclear weapons from North Korea. Well, I think the simpler, the, the most important agreement we need to get with North Korea today, giving up the idea that we can get them to absolutely abandon their nuclear arsenal, is to be very firm and very clear that they cannot export any nuclear weapons or nuclear technology to Iran or to any other country. Mm -hmm. I think we could get that agreement, and I think we could enforce that agreement. That's, that's the best we could do, is just not let it spread. They, they not let it get worse. And in the case of it getting worse, it, it's um, spreading the technology, selling the technology to other countries. We might also be able to get them 
and an agreement to uh, limit the size of their arsenal and stop mm-hmm. the testing. That, I think that is possible also. But, mm-hmm. but we will not get them to give up their arsenal. It's too important to them. Okay, well, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back with more from Secretary William Perry. You're listening to the Costa Report. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's rattle do it now go to rebeccacosta.com find out why scientists government leaders and the heads of the largest corporations in america are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior that's the watchman's rattle at rebeccacosta.com a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that richard branson donald trump and experts everywhere are calling a must read that's the watchman's rattle available at bookstores everywhere and online at rebeccacosta.com If you have a home, you have problems. But in your neighborhood, you've got an ace in the hole. Hello, Charlie Friedman here with good news for all of you out there who have a garage door that needs painting, a gate that needs a hinge, or a leaking seal on the shower faucet. The good news is you can find a solution for almost every home and garden problem at your neighborhood Ace Hardware store. That's right, you don't need to go to that big box store because you can find neighborhood Ace Hardware stores in Freedom, Marina, Gilroy, Salinas, and at two locations in Watsonville. These Ace Hardware stores are locally owned by my friends Manuel and Carlos Rodriguez. They're almost always on hand to make certain you find the solution to your problem. So, when you have a problem, head for your neighborhood Ace Hardware store. You'll be met at the door and taken straight to the solution to your problem, and you'll be on your way soon with the solution in the bag and a smile on your face. Now, at all Ace locations, pick up your Longevity Tangy Tangerine and Healthy Body Start Packs at great prices. Ace is the place. You're Ace in the Hole. Cash flows and money move. The Money Moves Show is dedicated to delivering tips and tools to help you earn more, save more, and protect your hard-earned assets. Host Pamela Fugit Hetrick interacts with her guests and callers every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Recent topics have included what is going on locally with health insurance, tips to maximize your Social Security income, how do you build an emergency fund for your family, Medicare 101 tips, how do you choose and pay for home health care, and many other topics. So tune in, take notes, call and get answers to your financial questions from Pamela Fugit-Hedrick on Money Moves, Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's Money Moves, Thursdays, 7 p.m. on KSCO, AM 1080 Santa Cruz and KOMY 1340 Watsonville and 104.1 on your FM dial.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Secretary of Defense and advocate for nuclear disarmament, Mr. William Perry. And before the break, we had come to the conclusion that it is unlikely that there is anything we can do to get North Korea to give up their nuclear program. So perhaps the best we can do at this point is to negotiate an agreement that they will not sell nuclear arms to others and will limit the number of weapons they stockpile. Is that right? That's correct. Now, let's move on to Russia, where a drop in oil prices has not only dealt a blow to that country's economy, but where we have also used economic sanctions and even political humiliation to try to coerce their cooperation. I think it's safe to say our efforts have backfired because we have as much tension with Russia today as we did during the Cold War. Can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, Russia is a proud country with a long proud history and they will they're also a country that has suffered too much they're suffering during the world war ii really was monumental so sanctions on russia that kind of pressure on russia will not work for sure it will be counterproductive and it has been so while we are are concerned and, and rightly rightly concerned about some of russia's behavior it's quite clear that sanctions are not going to be a way to deal with that not going to stop them to change their behavior. Yes, uh, we have not gotten the results that we expected. Now, many no. leaders believe that our relationship with Russia is worse that during, than uh, during the Cold War, because during the Cold War, the Russian government saw the U.S. as an enemy, but the Russian people still loved Americans and thought America was cool. But today, because of Putin's success in building a heightened sense of nationalism and his massive popularity, that has changed, and the Russian people no longer admire or feel affection for our country. If that's true, and the analysts are right, are we worse off than the Cold War? What do you think? In some ways, I think we are. The, I think it's quite true that the Russian people are largely support Putin, who is playing, you might say he's playing an ultra-national card, particularly after oil prices fell and after the economy was, the economy now has been very poor in Russia for the last two years. Yes. Russian people are suffering from this. And he has managed to maintain his popularity through that by blaming it on the United States, by blaming it on sanctions, and and by appealing to people's nationalism, their patriotism. So I think we have developed a, a worse relationship with Russia now than we had during the Cold War. I think that's quite true. This is such a reversal, uh, because for folks that don't remember, in 1993, you sponsored a conversation between the Russian defense minister and NATO, which led to a program called Partnership for Peace. And uh, it was a commitment to do joint NATO and Russian military exercises for peacekeeping missions. Is that right? That's that's correct. That was in 1993-1994. It led to... Uh, U.S. and Russia and other NATO nations having their military forces jointly exercise in peacekeeping um, operations. We did that in Russia. We did it in the United States. We did it in other countries in Europe. We did it in Ukraine as well. We had American and Russian and Ukrainian troops and other European troops operating together in Ukraine. So it was a very different day, of course, than we have today. And then when we went into Bosnia, not an exercise, but a real peacekeeping operation, uh, we were able to get the Russian to send a brigade of their forces to be embedded in an American division, taking directions from an American general. So it was a very, very different scene. It, was, it wasn't easy to get those negotiated, we were, but we were able to get those negotiated at that time. You cannot imagine anything like that today. So, so at one time in the mid-'90s, we envision peaceful cooperation with Russia, uh, cooperation on military forces, uh, and we also work together to jointly dismantle nuclear weapons. So at that time, there was real reason to believe and to hope there was going to be a long, friendly relationship with Russia ahead of us. But that all sort of started disintegrating towards the end of the 90s and the beginning of this century. Well, we were on the right track Thanks to your leadership, what went wrong? Well, several things went wrong. The first few of them, I think, were 
primarily the responsibility of the United States, where he began what I consider to be a premature expansion of NATO right up to the Russian borders. Uh, I think we could have expanded NATO later on, after Russia had worked together with us and worked together with NATO for a number of years and felt more comfortable with it. And indeed, Russia might even themselves have considered becoming a member of NATO. But we moved too fast on that, and Russia felt threatened by it. Uh, Then we began building and expanding a ballistic missile defense system in Europe, which Russia felt was directed against them. Uh, Those were several of the factors, several of the actions that U.S. took, which led us into bad direction between U.S. and Russia. But then Russia started taking hostile actions, their move into Crimea, in Georgia, and then, of course, most recently in Ukraine, very aggressive actions. Uh, So between things the United States did in in the late 90s and the early part of this century, and the things which Russia has been doing the last 10 years, our relationship has deteriorated very significantly. Well, Putin makes the point that you can't say out of one side of your mouth that you want to work together and the Cold War is over. And then out of the other side of your mouth, you say, well, we better start building up troops and weapons to the east of Europe. Uh, I mean, looking back on this historic moment in the 90s, did NATO send the wrong message and miss a chance to truly bring Russia into the fold, invite them or show them a pathway to NATO membership? I, I believe that, that the United States and NATO did miss an opportunity in the late 90s. And I believe, and so that, that I say, is on us. But I also believe that uh, Putin, for his own political reasons, has been pushing his, playing his nationalist card in the last 10 years or so. And I think most of the hostility in the last decade or so has been the responsibility of Putin. So both sides, I think, are to blame for this. But the question now really is not so much who is to blame, but what, we, what can we do to get back to a reasonable accommodation between the United States and Russia. It's very And what should do we that. do? Well, we there are many things that Russia is doing and probably will continue to do that we will not support and will not agree to. But there are other things that are very important we work together on. In particular, it's very important that we work together um, in the nuclear field to prevent nuclear proliferation and to and most importantly to prevent a terror group from getting nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. So those issues, we ought to be able to set aside things on which we disagree with them so that we can work together on the things that we do agree, and it's very important that we work together. And that's going to be a big challenge to the next president to find a way to do that. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like you're saying we do have some common ground in terms of uh, the security of both countries and that we need to find what that is and build on that mostly oriented in the nuclear field. And one example mm-hmm. where we have actually done that, and for which I give the Obama administration great credit, is in the case of Iran. We would never have gotten an agreement with Iran mm-hmm. without the participation of Russia, because you know, Russia saw it in their interest as well as the American interest to get this agreement. Well, there you go. There's a great example of what you mean when you say find common ground. We have to take another break. When we return, we'll find out how safe the stockpile of nuclear weapons stored in Turkey is. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. I'm Casey Lucius, and I'm running for Congress. Tolerance, respect, compassion. These are the values I hold dear. 
Yet they are the same values being steamrolled by the political machine and cherry-picked by government. Social justice should not be a political tool. Equal rights should not be a lightning rod for political debate. In America, no political party, no government agency, no media outlet, and no politician owns the rights to these issues. They are not political issues. They are human issues. I'm Casey Lucius. I support equal pay for equal work. I support a woman's right to make her own health care choices. I support marriage equality. We need more tolerance and less judgment in this world. In Congress, I will work to dig us out of the old political trenches that are getting us nowhere. I will be a leader who empowers all of our families here on the Central Coast. I'm Casey Lucius, and I approve this message. See and be seen at Vista Center's Low Vision Expo Saturday, September 24th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Loud Nelson Community Center in Santa Cruz. Learn about the latest low vision technologies. Hear a presentation from Dr. Steve Sanislow with the Byers Eye Institute at Stanford and Roberto Manducci from the Computer Engineering Department at UCSC. And about adventures in living each day to the fullest from a panel of low vision experts. Registration is free. Call the Vista Center at 831-458-9766 or go to Vista center.org we're headed for the warmest weather of the year i'm charles friedman before you turn on that air conditioner up to max give a thought to the safety of all the electrical circuits that keep you cool best way to check on the safety of your electrical circuits is with the help of chris jensen and the staff at jm electric chris what should we be watching out for thanks charles it is really important to be mindful of the electrical circuits that power air conditioners any electrical leak from these circuits is a real fire danger you may not be able to see the electricity leaking from the circuits behind your walls, but JM Electric's state-of-the-art testing equipment can find them. And JM Electric is happy to help folks out with a free home assessment to see if the current safe testing service is right for your home. Give us a call at 422-7819. Go straight to jmelectric.com and take the home electric safety test. After you answer 12 yes or no questions, you'll have a good idea about how safe to feel. If you don't feel safe, call JM Electric and ask for a free current safe home assessment. That's JM Electric at 422-7819. You'll sleep well at night. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour. Right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Friday at 7. See you then. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is former Secretary of Defense William Perry. And when we took our last break, you were making the point that the nuclear agreement with Iran would not have been possible without the help of Russia. And this was because Russia saw value uh, in seeing Iran step down its nuclear program as well. So rebuilding our relationship with Russia is going to be a top priority for the next president. Is that right? You got it just right, Rebecca. Now, in July of this year, there was an attempted military coup in Turkey. But what the media failed to cover uh, very well was the, this disturbing fact that the U.S. has up to 90 nuclear gravity bombs stored on a base in Turkey, which were clearly, at the moment of the coup, at some risk of falling into the wrong hands. Can you talk about the danger of these unstable regimes for a moment as it pertains to nuclear arsenals? Uh, yes, I will, Rebecca. I'd like to broaden the question a little bit to consider all of our nuclear weapons based in Europe. Uh, my own belief is that we would our policy ought to be change so that we do not keep our nuclear weapons in Europe, that uh, we can keep them in the United States and move them over if they're ever needed there. That would avoid the problem we're talking about in, in, in uh, Europe, but it's also a broader issue than just the safety issue there. Um, I will say that I don't want to dramatize the safety issue. Uh, I think it's very unlikely that uh, anybody would ever get be able to use the nuclear, first of all, can't take our nuclear weapons, or second, be able to use them even if they did. 
But it's a, even though it's unlikely, it's a risk that I don't think we have to take it because we'd be better off moving our nuclear weapons not only out of Turkey but out of Europe as well. The reason we have not done that is because for many years, many of the European countries felt that in order to get the real benefit in our deterrence, to have the full confidence in our deterrence, they wanted the weapons based there. We can, up, we can fully carry out our deterrence responsibilities to our own country and to the countries to whom we apply extended deterrence by the weapons based in the United States or, or based in our submarines at sea. So I don't see the need for keeping nuclear weapons in Europe, indeed anywhere, um, uh, anywhere based outside the United States or on our submarines. Or on our, or on and our another problem bombers. that we have is we have too many of them. Well, we have way too many. We have, um, and so does Russia. So we have, um, between, uh, t- today there are more than 15,000 nuclear weapons in the world, almost 20,000 nuclear weapons in the world. And even a thousand nuclear weapons is more than enough to destroy our entire planet. So we have, there are just way too many nuclear weapons. And one of the main objectives we should have is getting is greatly reducing these numbers, even as we see the need to maintain nuclear weapons for deterrence. Even if we believe that is the need, we do not require anything like the number of nuclear weapons we have in order to do that. Well, it seems to me that uh, if we were working on moving all of those nuclear weapons in Europe and Turkey back to the United States, uh, that might get people's attention in not quite wanting as many. Well, that's right. And also, those, it, it, it raises again the question of extended deterrence. It could backfire on us if the countries... Um, like Germany, uh, like Japan, like uh, Korea, who get, who benefit from our extended deterrence, began to doubt that we we're going to really carry it out and then decide to build their own nuclear weapons. So one of the best arguments that people have used for maintaining weapons for, for the extended deterrence and having weapons based overseas in order, in order to give countries the confidence that is it reduces the chance of those countries making their own weapons. Mm-hmm. So it would be a political challenge if we took the weapons out of Europe to ass- to give full assurance <clears throat> to the countries in Europe that our extended deterrence would really work. I believe it would, but it's a political task to try to convince them that it would work. I think what you're saying is they may be emo- they might become emotionally insecure yes, <laughs> about exactly. being protected from a that's, distance. That doesn't long, sound like a very been, logical decision. Well, it's been a decision which has been a, a problem for many, many decades now. Mm-hmm. Um, we were first, so is, we have to find a way of assuring the countries to whom we apply extended deterrence that our extended deterrence will really work, that we will carry it out if we ever had to do that. And that's the basis on which they have decided not to build nuclear weapons. Germany, Japan, Korea, for example, could readily build nuclear weapons. They could have a nuclear weapon arsenal in a matter of a year or so if they decided to do it. And so it's our de- extended deterrence that keeps them from doing that. So I understand when I argue that we should move our nuclear weapons out of Europe, that it would entail a political problem of being able to ensure those countries that they could count on our extended deterrence, even though our weapons were not in their countries. Right, so that they wouldn't develop their own uh, as a result of us pulling out. Today in Japan, Mm -hmm. and um, so we have managed to maintain extended deterrence with Japan without having nuclear weapons there. We've done it with Korea as well. Uh, there's some question in both of those countries today, given North Korea's nuclear weapons, whether they ought to go ahead with their own nuclear weapon program. So we have a challenge to continue to convince them that our extended deterrence will work and they do not need to build nuclear weapons themselves. Yes, and, and not long ago, you joined with a prestigious and highly influential team of leaders, Henry Kissinger, George Shultz, Sam Nunn, to publicly urge the U.S. to work towards setting an example for cutting down on the number of nuclear weapons. Uh, I'd like to, you to uh, comment on the president's claim that uh, there's just too much gridlock in Washington to take that on. Well, to make a specific point, mm-hmm. uh, while we have um, something... 
over 4,000 nuclear weapons a day. There are about 1,000 of them. Uh, there's a question of how many of them are operational. And today we have operational something over 1,500 nuclear weapons based on the the New Star Treaty. The New Star Treaty allows both the United States and Russia to deploy uh, mm -hmm. just over 1,500 nuclear weapons. Uh, a little over a year ago, President Obama suggested that we might be able to drop that number unilaterally to 1,000, that we don't need 1,500 for our security. And he mm -hmm. met a regular firestorm of political protest <laughs> over that. Yes, he did. They seem to believe that 1,000 might be all right if Russia would go down at the same time. They were not willing to do it unilaterally. So you see the question of how many nuclear weapons we have, which we say is based on the being able to maintain deterrence is, in fact, based on maintaining parity with Russia. Mm -hmm. And we can't seem to break out of the, the uh, psychological thinking in here. It's not, and really base our, determine our basing, um, not on parity with Russia, but on how many we actually need for deterrence. We how many do we need? Deterrence. Yeah, how many do we need, though, to, uh, to be able to... Uh, execute a uh, effective deterrence for uh, other countries in Europe and Japan and ourselves? How many do we really need? Uh, I can't give you an exact number, but I can say that the 1,000, which President Obama was proposing, is, way on, is on the high side. Mm -hmm. So n n I would have no doubt that 1,000 nuclear weapons is more than we need for deterrence. Mm -hmm. Because 1,000 weapons, as I said earlier, is really capable of destroying our whole planet. So, mm -hmm. so, so the real disagreement was uh, if the Russians aren't going to do it, we're not going to do it. We're not going to go the first. Issue. As I say, it gets <laughs> back to the point that yes. our real that our policy of how many nuclear weapons we maintain, particularly how many we maintain operational, is really based on maintaining parity with Russia, not on maintaining deterrence. You know, I, I'm a scientist, and when I hear this kind of thing, and you're a mathematician, I go nuts. My brain doesn't know how to process it. <laughs> so I, I think probably after the program, I'm going to have to go have a stiff drink and try to understand how policy is really shaped by emotion more than it is by logic. We have to take our final intermission. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors to talk about the no first use policy. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best U.S. Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. 
I am Barry McGuire. I put together a really fun show. We call it Trip in the 60s. We sing the songs and tell the stories from our own personal adventures with our friends on the stage, behind the scenes, just stuff that happened during that unforgettable decade. How the Mamas and Papas were my backup group before they released California Dreamin'. I'll also be telling stories about my incredible fun relationships with people like Cass Elliott and John Phillips, Michelle Phillips, Denny Doherty, John Sebastian. These are just a few of the stories. I mean, we've got two hours of this stuff. Just fun, personal, touching, funny, just the adventures of our life. At the Rio Theater, September 23rd, 7.30 p.m. Tickets through the Rio website and snazzyproductions.com. Look and feel better. Accomplish more, earn more, get healthy, and have great relationships. Hello, I'm Deb from FengShuiProsperity.com. As a certified Feng Shui consultant, I can help you jumpstart your life in your home and your business. Take charge and start today. Empower your life with Feng Shui. Learn more. Visit me at FengShuiProsperity.com. That's F-E-N-G-S-H-U-I Prosperity.com. Don't delay. Contact me today. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home, not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is William Perry. Let's talk for a moment about the no first use policy, which has been floated around Washington, D.C. Tell our listeners what it is and why it's such an important step. Well, no first use means that the country, if a country makes a first, no first use policy, it means it's promising not to ever use its nuclear weapons unless it's attacked by a country with nuclear weapons. In other words, you would not be the first one to use them. Um, the history of that is interesting, that the Soviet Union and later Russia had a no first use policy for decades. Only a few years ago, President Putin publicly renounced the no first use policy, and stated quite explicitly that he was prepared to use nuclear weapons against a conventional attack on, on Russia. So that, given that statement, the move in the United States to get the United States to adopt a no first use policy, I think today has very little chance for the reason that I've said before, that we seem to be not willing to do something in a positive direction unless Russia is willing to do it with us. Notwithstanding that, it's my view that a no first use, the United States ought to have a no first use policy. I will continue to promote that, even though I think there's very little, as I, for the reason I've given, very little prospect that it will be uh, taken up. Is we that have, something we can go back to Russia and renegotiate and say, let's both do it? Uh, I think it will not be successful, at least as long as Putin is the president of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we can take a no first use policy, which means basically that we will not use nuclear weapons unless another country attacks us with nuclear weapons, uh, is because anything another country does to us with conventional weapons, uh, we have such a strong conventional force that we'll be able to retaliate effectively with conventional forces. Even if they were to use chemical weapons or biological weapons, we could respond in a devastating way with our conventional forces. We do not have to use nuclear weapons. Russia, on the other hand, has a much less capable military, conventional military forces and might feel they're obliged to. So there is that asymmetry, and that asymmetry means it was very unlikely we could get Russia to back down from their view that they uh, need nuclear weapons to protect their, their security. Mm-hmm. 
But you have also made the point that we would never use a nuclear weapon first because of, of the other tools that we have. So why not formalize that decision and then put nervous countries at ease? Well, I think really, Rebecca, even, I'd say it even stronger than that. I don't believe, I believe that, in fact, we have a no first use policy, but we just don't declare it. I there you go. That, I do not conceive of the circumstances where the United States would use nuclear weapons first. Any, so, given that, I think there's a, there'd be a real advantage to actually stating a no first use policy, and I wish we would do that, and I promoted the idea of doing that. What I'm giving you is the political, re- the geopolitical reason why I do not think we will do that, is because I think as long as Russia takes the position they're taking, which is likely to last for a long time, I don't see politically the United States, any United States president being being able to step forward and actually make that statement. I had some hopes that President Obama, had, by the end of his administration, would do that, but I'm beginning to be very doubtful that that's going to happen now. Now, I want to be sure that we talk about the William J. Perry Project. Tell us what that is and how people can get involved. We have two and a half million listeners today, and I know I'm going to get inundated with emails saying, all right, tell me what I can do. All right. Because I feel so strongly about this problem, because I, as I've indicated, this despair of the political environment we are now, which does not allow us to take actions, which could be... um, which could really be for the benefit of the security of all of us, not just the United States, but the whole world. Um, I have concluded that we need a long-term education program so that people understand just how dangerous the nuclear weapons are and start to take the, the steps which could reduce these dangers, which we don't seem to be able to do today. I don't see a way of doing this this year or next year, so I'm focused on long-term education problem. And the, the W.J. Perry Project was set up for the purpose of that education. We're focused primarily on younger people, but uh, because we see this as a long-term problem, and because the young people who did not live through the Cold War don't understand what these dangers are. So my first action on that was to write a book, uh, which is uh, My Journey at the Nuclear Brink, and I would rec- recommend that book to you. Uh, but I understand and not that if I'm lucky, there'll be thousands or tens of thousands of people reading the book, and we want to get the message across to millions of people. So we're going on the inter- in the Internet, the only way we can get across to a large audience. We're taking the ideas of the book and putting them on the Internet. Uh, we've already made a uh, YouTube video, a five-minute video, depicting a catastrophe of a nuclear bomb going off in Washington set by a nuclear terror group. And we have other nuclear videos we have underway right now, and then we have just completed a course, a mass, it's called a MOOC, a Massive Open Online Course. It's a course which goes on in the Internet and is free. The course is called Living at the Nuclear Brink. It's a course that's sponsored by Stanford University. And anyone can sign up for this course free. You can go on um, online. You can go to our our, on our web website, for example, at org, And with a click of a few buttons, Sign up for this course and you're off and running. It starts October the 4th. So anybody who wants to get educated on this subject can do so free. This is a course which has myself and 10 real experts in this subject educating you on the technical aspect and the policy aspects and the dangers of nuclear weapons. So I recommend that course to anyone who wants to learn more. Now, for listeners uh, who are interested the name of the book is My Journey at My the Journey Nuclear at Brink. The nuclear Brink. Right. Yes, and we have the book, along with information about the book, up on our webpage, and you can also get the book on Amazon.com. Mr. Secretary, I'm afraid that is all the time that we have left today, but before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for working to rid the world of uh, these nuclear <laughs> weapons and doing everything you can to prevent a, uh, a nuclear holocaust, and okay. also for your service to our our nation. Thank you, Secretary Perry. Thank you, Rebecca, for helping me spread the word on this important problem. Absolutely. Come back anytime. If okay. your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with William Perry, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Is the world on the brink of a nuclear war? And do we need to take more decisive action to put down that threat? What do you think? 
Send your comments to me on our contact page at RebeccaCosta.com. And if you missed the full interview with William Perry, keep in mind you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And if you haven't yet visited our website, we'll do that right now because the site is chocked full of videos, blogs, and helpful information. It's also where you will find reviews of my book, The Watchman's Rattle, from familiar names like Richard Branson, Trudy Styler, Edward Wilson, and yes, even Donald Trump, who gave the book a resounding thumbs up. So be sure to check the book out because it doesn't take much to see that the three symptoms that led to the collapse of the Mayan, Roman, and Khmer empires are all around us. You'll see all the signs. We lay out the blueprint for you, and you will see all the signs, particularly in the current election climate. Once you know what those symptoms are, then you have the opportunity to guard against them. So make a point to go to our website at RebeccaCosta.com and see what folks are saying about uh, William Perry's book as well as The Watchman's Rattle. Uh, by the way, there's a free sample of our audio book that you can listen to right there on the home page. So have a listen. And with Christmas just around the corner, what better gift can you give than a book with a custom inscription and a signature by the author? So take a moment to go to the website. It's very, very easy to remember. It's myname.com, RebeccaCosta.com. And again, if you miss any interviews, you can always pick them up on our website, uh, and as well as Apple iTunes and Podbean, and also the U- our YouTube channel. Now, my guest next week is former Secretary General of NATO and the Prime Minister of Denmark, Anders Fogh Rasmussen, who's going to be here to talk about NATO's changing role. And boy, is that changing. Given ISIS attacks in France, Germany, Turkey, and the U.S. and other NATO member countries, uh, you know, what is NATO's response going to be? Don't miss former Secretary General of NATO, Anders Foe Rasmussen, next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 